here's the big mistake that all of us make. And this mistake is single-handedly responsible for all of the sorrow and tragedy in our lives. And the mistake we make is thinking that we are a particular body, mind, intellect complex. I am Vision. I founded this company, Mind Valley. I'm going to touch a billion people. You know, we're going to raise the level of consciousness of the planet. So all of that. No, you're not really that. Vision is a role you're playing. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome, everyone. And if you are tuning into the Mind Valley podcast, welcome to another exciting episode of one of my favorite teachers of all time. And many of you are live right now on Zoom. Welcome to all our All Access members. It's so exciting to see you guys here. So today's guest is Sri Kumar Rao. And if you're not familiar with Sri Kumar Rao, let me tell you just how remarkable this man's brain is. I first stumbled upon Sri Kumar Rao in the early days of the internet. So we're talking 2001, 2002, back before YouTube was a thing. Back then there was a website called Google Videos. And I remember someone sent me a video of Sri Kumar speaking at Google and it had been uploaded to Google videos. Back then, I think Google was using their video tool to share videos with their internal team. I was captivated, but I didn't know the full story. Sri Kumar's talks were so powerful that TED, okay, I'm talking about the TEDtalks.com. They took one of his talks. It wasn't even on a TED stage. It was just somewhere else. They took one of his talks and they made it a TED talk and put it on their website. So it's hard enough to get invited to speak on TED. Okay, that's tough. But in this scenario, TED actually picked another talk that was not even part of their system and featured it on their website. And that was a talk on happiness by Sri Kumar Rao. See, what you may not know about Sri Kumar Rao is that he is this gifted MBA teacher. And he's been teaching classes on personal mastery at Columbia, at London Business School. But what is really powerful about Rao is that his classes so change students' lives that there would be lines to get into his classes. Students who graduated from his classes would form alumni groups. He became this legendary teacher. And so I was really honored when Rao finally came on Mind Valley and brought his personal mastery program to our Mind Valley Quest platform. It's called the Quest for Personal Mastery. And in the first two years that it came out, it was the highest rated program on Mind Valley. And so Sri Kumar, it's so awesome to have you here on our live talks in front of a live audience. And I cannot wait to get started. Neither can I, Vishen. <laughs> so first, give us a little bit about your background. Where are you right now? I'm in Long Island, New York, which is home. I'm in my office, which is in the basement of my house. And I have not been on a plane for six months, which is extraordinarily unusual for me. But I have been able to conduct all my programs. We just do it virtually. In a sense, this has reshaped my thinking in terms of do I really need to go to so many airports and so many hotels. So I'm probably going to see a significant change in my life even after this pandemic is over. Do you miss that? Do you miss traveling and speaking? Actually, I never loved traveling that much, but I love what I do and travel came with it. So I was okay. So depending on how things go, and by the way, I love live interactions. Like 
the sessions I conducted at Mind Valley, for example, where the audience, you know how the audience was. So there is an energy in that, which I do miss. So let's see how it works out. Amazing. So let's get started with today's conversation. How would you like to begin? And as you know, guys, you know, with Rao, we always have free flowing conversations, but the right insights come at the right time. We like to just let this flow and surrender and not plan this out. So Srikumar, would you like to begin in any way? Yes. Off late, I've been speaking a great deal. Obviously, in the pandemic situation, you have people who are very stressed out. And one of my topics, which has gained a great deal of traction, is how you can eradicate stress. I don't mean reduce it. I mean completely eliminate it. And how you can cultivate extreme resilience. Resilience, of course, is your ability to bounce back from adversity. Extreme resilience is where you bounce back so fast that an external observer might not even know that you've suffered a setback. So one of the things that I point out is the only way you can do that is by thinking differently. If you continue thinking the way you always have, you're going to be buffeted, you're going to be stressed, you're going to feel, oh my God, my life's out of control, I'm going down, feel depressed, it comes with the territory. The only way you can, as I said, get out of this and thrive in these times, not just survive, is by thinking differently. Let me give an example of what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in India. We were a middle-class family. My father was a government bureaucrat. My mother was a homemaker. We weren't poor, but there wasn't a whole lot of cash lying around. So one day we'd gone, uh, I'd gone for a walk with my parents. There was a guy who had a shelf strapped to his stomach, you know, and he was selling stuff from the shelf. And one of the things he was selling was a book called Just Like Daddy. It was a small blue book, had a few lines of writing on each page. And it talked about a little boy and he got up in the morning and he brushed his teeth just like daddy and, you know, a whole bunch of things just like daddy. It was actually two books in one because if you flipped it around, it turned pink. And then there was a little girl who went around doing things just like mommy. For some reason, I can't figure out I really wanted that book. So I put in a petition. My parents looked at it. There were only a few lines of writing on each page and I was already reading junior classics. So my petition was denied. I was unhappy, but that's the way the cookie crumbled. We moved on and the guy with the shelf moved behind us. And every time I looked around, he'd flash the book at me. And my mother was a very frugal lady. She hardly ever bought anything for herself, but she saw a purse that she really liked and she was going to reach out for it. And I saw my opening and I dove in. With tears rolling down my cheeks, I bawled loudly and asked, how could she possibly buy anything so utterly useless as a purse when there was this great educational material that they were denying me? It was a low blow. It worked. I got just like daddy, just like mommy. There was coolness between my parents and me, but I didn't care. The reason I bring that up is about a couple of decades after that, I was passing a flea market in Delhi, and I came across that book, Just Like Daddy, Just Like Mommy. All the memories came flooding back, but there was a difference. Just Like Daddy, Just Like Mommy no longer had any hold on me. I didn't want it. I did not want it. It was irrelevant to my life. I had outgrown my need for it. If you look back on your life, Vishen, I'm sure you can remember dozens of things that you really wanted at some point, maybe a toy at some point, you know, whatever. You may have gotten it, you may not have gotten it, but it's irrelevant to your life at present. You've outgrown your needs for it. Now, here's my question to you. Right now, there is something that you really want. And this is a question 
a statement for the entire audience. There's something that you really want and you don't have it, and it's causing turmoil in your life. You wish the pandemic would go away so you can go about your business. You wish your relationship with your partner would be flowing smoothly instead of the rocky way in which it is. You wish your children would spend less time on the small screen and more time on their homework. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. There's something you want, you don't have it, and it's causing turmoil in your life. My question is, would you rather get what you want or would you rather outgrow your need for it? As I outgrew my need for just like daddy, just like mommy, and you've outgrown the need for countless things in your life. Would you rather get what you want or would you rather outgrow your need for it? Hmm. Don't think about it, but ponder that. But that is a very good illustration of what I mean when I say I would like people to start thinking differently. Wow, I like that. Would you rather get what you want or would you rather outgrow your need for it? Exactly correct. That's an interesting question. So many different ways to process that. So what do we do? Where do we go from there? Well, when once you start thinking about, you know, would I rather get what I want or would I rather outgrow my need for it? Now, by the way, thinking I'm going to outgrow my need for it is not going to work. Because here is an important point. I think we covered this before in one of the previous conversations we had. You can never drop your desire for anything. You know, say you're a smoker. You can say, I'm going to quit smoking. And you quit smoking cold turkey. Mm-hmm. You may refrain from the physical act of smoking. But the desire will always be there. Somebody lights up and you say, gee, you know, maybe I should have a cigarette. Or somebody comes in front of you, you see a cigarette commercial, and that comes in. So you cannot give up desire. The best you can do is give up indulging the desire, but you can't give it up. So the only way you're going to be truly free of it is desire has to give you up. So in exactly the same way, would you rather get what you want? Would you rather outgrow your need for it? You can't outgrow your need for it by a conscious act. You have to work your way towards it. And how you do that is exactly what my coaching programs are all about. I've got a whole series of exercises. Many of these, by the way, are laid out in my book, Are You Ready to Succeed? But Rao, how do we know if what we desire is good for us, good for the world, good for the people around us, versus stuff that's maybe not healthy or not really meaningful? Like, how do we make that shift. I mean, in Esther Hicks' books, right, on the law of attraction, she speaks about a concept called rockets of desire. And she said, what your soul wants to do in its human expression is to discover, to experience, and to create desires. And every time you create a desire, it's like your mind is shooting out a rocket of desire. But she says that this is healthy because it allows you to create, to build, to manifest that which your soul wants to experience. How do we differentiate between the good rockets of desire and the bad rockets of desire. Let me push back on that question. And I'm saying that trying to make a distinction between this is a good desire and this is a bad desire is ultimately fruitless because you want to get to the point where there is no desire. This is where we get into deep territory. Desire automatically means you're rooted in duality. There is a me, an entity, however you choose it. And there is this thing, which is the object of desire. 
and this entity wants that mm-hmm. inherent duality. And the point of all of my teaching is you want to get beyond the duality. But if we were all living like that, how would we create productive contributions to the world? I mean, surely Steve Jobs desired to bring to life the iPhone. You must desire to make mankind an interplanetary species. We are talking on several different levels here, Vision. And the level at which we're talking and in which the vast, overwhelming, overwhelming majority of us live is in this world of duality. And in this world of duality, there is always going to be sorrow, there is going to be suffering, there is going to be injustice, there's going to be all kinds of things that people say, you know, this is wrong with the world, I'm going to go off and set it right. We are steeped in duality. And in this way, there is a world where Steve Jobs creates Apple and these fantastic products like the iPhone, the iPod, and so on. And there are also multi-billionaires who go off and screw up the markets and you know all kinds of horrible things, storm, drama, and so on. That's the world in which all of us live in. And what the great masters... And in particular, I've been very deeply influenced by an Indian sage called Ramana Maharshi. And what he points out is, by all means, participate in this drama. But as you're participating in this drama, know that it is a drama. And you are the observer of the drama. You're Mm. not the drama. So here's an example. You have a screen, and on that screen, a movie is playing, and it's the towering inferno. And there is this building, which is this big skyscraper, and it's on fire. Then there is a close-up of the particular floor, which is on fire, and there are flames all around. And that, that movie gets over, and you have the next movie playing, and it's water world. And all the ice caps have melted, and the world is awash in water, and there are storms and huge waves of water. And that movie ends. And you look at the screen, and the screen is not scorched, and the screen is not wet. But all of those dramas were playing out on the screen. You Hmm. are the screen. You are not burned. You are not wet. You are the screen on which all of this drama plays on. And once you have your locus of awareness on that, You go through life and you completely enjoy this wonderful drama that's going on. But you are the screen and you can look upon all of that and you're unchanging, unshaken, immovable. I like that. I like that. It's being conscious that we are living in an illusion. Correct. Right? It's like life is a computer game. See, here's the big mistake that all of us make. And this mistake is single-handedly responsible for all of the sorrow and tragedy in our lives. And the mistake we make is thinking that we are a particular body-mind-intellect complex. I am Vision. I founded this company, Mind Valley. I'm going to touch a billion people. You know, we're going to raise the level of consciousness of the planet. So all of that. No, you're not really that. Vision is a role you're playing. If you were vision, you would be vision all the time, right? 
But it's your own experience that you're not vision all the time. You go to sleep and you dream. And in your dream, you're Julius Caesar. And you're about to cross the Rubicon. And you have Pompey, who's a thorn in your side. And Pompey is defeated in a battle. And then he takes refuge in Egypt. And then you go into dreamless sleep. And everything vanishes. There is no vision. There is no mind valley. There is no Pompeii. There is no Egypt. Everything is gone. But when you get up in the morning, you say, hey, I had good sleep. So there was something, something that was there which observed the dream, which observed you, and observed you in your waking state as vision and mind valley. That is who you really are. If you put your locus of awareness on that, which is really pure awareness, you will see clearly that just as you were not Julius Caesar, equally you're not Vishen Lakhiani. They were both roles that you were playing. And when you observe that, that gives you a great power to play that role with gusto and enjoy it, but you're not identifying with that. Wow. So you said, you said there's one fundamental mistake we make in our thinking that is responsible for all our sorrows. Could you articulate that again? What is that mistake? That mistake is that we think we are this limited body-mind-soul complex, that we are born, we grow old, we have diseases of various kinds, mm. our health fails, and we die. The body is in time and space, and the body will disappear. Your wow. parents, your grandparents, they were there. They made their little mark on the world. They're gone. As you speak, it reminds me a little of a book I read called The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, the New York Times bestselling author of The Untethered Soul. Michael Singer was a meditator, and he spoke about going into the state of surrender and through that process, building a billion-dollar software company. Yep. He built up this billion-dollar software company, and then it collapsed, Right. But it was very interesting, the parable of moving into a state of surrender. Mm -hmm. What is going on there? Here is what happens, Vishen, and think about this. We have very, very strong preferences, and we try to impose our preferences on the world. This is how the world should unfold. You know, I got married, and this is what my marriage should be like. This is how my partner should behave. This is how my children should behave. They have to study hard. They have to get into the Ivy League. Whatever it is, we're always trying to impose our will on the universe. And if things don't work out the way I want to, you know, I want to get promoted at work, and I want to become head of my department, or I want to become CEO. Darn it, they actually fired me. This is terrible. This is unacceptable because the world is not unfolding the way that I would like it to. Now, have mm -hmm. you recognized that the world very rarely pays any attention to your likes and dislikes and it goes its merry way? Why is it that you can only be well if the universe conforms to the way you would like it to be? What's wrong with the universe unfolding the way it is? And you're perfectly happy at the way that it is unfolding. That is really the genesis of the surrender experiment, where Michael Singer decided, hey, you know, I'm not going to go out and say this. There were several wonderful stories. I remember one, you know, he wanted someone for a particular position he needed to fill. 
And he was going to advertise for that. And somebody came up and said, hey, you know, Mickey, I'd like to do that. And this was a person who, on the face of it, was totally unqualified, didn't have any of the technical and other competence. But, you know, she was there and she said, I want that. So he said, OK, you know, you're that. And it turned out to be one of the best decisions they ever made. She grew into the role and fulfilled it fantastically well. So I actually have an exercise in one of my programs, which is look at how much you're actually trying your level best to make things happen. And why don't you simply step back and don't try to impose your will on the world. Let it unfold and see what happens. And I've got a really funny tale about this one. One of my Vedanta teachers was a gentleman called Swami Dayananda, and he was a, an incredible teacher, and a great deal of what I learned I owe to him. So I have a deep debt of gratitude. But Swami Dayananda was once in a strange town, and in the Indian society, as you know, it's considered a great honor if you can have a sage come into your house for a meal. So he was always getting invited to places. And one time he was invited to a house and the lady had prepared, lady of the house had prepared a great many items and she gave him a plate which is full. And one of those items was a curry made of karela. Karela, as you know, is very bitter, bitter gold. And he absolutely did not like karela. So he thought, you know, let me finish it first so then I can eat the other stuff which I really like. And he finished it first. And then somebody asked him a question. He turned around. And in the meantime, the woman had seen that he finished the karela and she immediately put a double serving of karela on his plate. <laughs> so he looked at that and he ate it. The next time he went to somebody's house, the housewife there called up the previous one and said, what does Swami Dhananda like? And the first one said, Swami Dhananda really likes Karela because he ate it first and then I gave him a double serving and ate that too. And wherever Swami Dhananda went, (laughs) lots of people would prepare lots of Karela curry for him. (laughs) So he said, you know, I decided I would like Karela and it's now one of my favorite uh, uh, items. So the point is, what would you have done if you were in a situation? Would you have let them know, hey, I don't like Karela? Or would you have even told them, this is what I like? Or would you have let the situation unfold? It's a funny story, but it's also a very instructive parable. Mm. The more you live your life so that it unfolds, the more you will find that the way it unfolds is exactly the way you would have liked it to. Think of that famous quote by Rumi that I shared with you. When I sit in my place of serenity and peace, that is what we're talking about. Don't try to impose. Don't run after what you think you desire. Sit in your place of calm and let the universe unfold. Throw out your preferences, but don't be wedded to your preferences. And you'll be surprised at how often what you get is much better than anything you could possibly have dreamed of. Blueprint for life. And it's also a good illustration of what I mean when I say think differently. So you talk about the parable of the second arrow. Why is that important? Just for people who are watching, the second arrow parable is a key part of Rao's philosophy and teachings. It's one of the more powerful teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha asked Ananda, his principal disciple, Ananda, if an arrow would have hit you in the arm, would it not be very painful? Yes, Lord, it would be very painful. And if a second arrow would have hit you exactly where the first arrow hit, would it not be even more painful? Yes, Lord, it would be even more painful. Then the Buddha had a simple question. Why then do you shoot the second arrow? 
So that needs a little explanation. So let me tell you a story. There was a woman, she was a good mother, and she had a son who had just turned 16, so he got his provisional driver's license. And one day the son comes up to the mother and says, hey, mom, a group of friends and I are getting together, and can I take the car? She said, of course not. You just learned to drive. You're, you know, you're not yet proficient. Where do you have to go? I'll drop you. He said, no, no, mom, you don't understand. You can't be there. I have to go alone, and I have to take the car. He said, no. You know, where do you have to go if you... You know, if I can't come, there's Uber, there's Lyft. said, no, no, mom, you don't understand. I have to take the car. And the mom said, no. And he said, please. And, you know, kids, uh, it's really important. And he begged and he pleaded and he wheedled. And bit by bit, she felt herself giving way. And she took promises. You're not going to drink anything. No, 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 no drinking. You're going to call. Yes, I'm going to call. You'll be back by 10 o'clock. Yes, I'll be back by 10 o'clock. And finally, reluctantly, she gave him the keys. And of course, once he got the key, he completely forgot about everything he said. He went off, had too many beers, didn't call, broke curfew. And on the way back, he got into a serious accident, had to be operated on immediately. His mother was in the operating room. And when he was reeled out to the, wheeled out to the recovery room, she went home to have a quick shower so she could change and go back to the hospital. And at that time, her friend called. And her friend said, what kind of an idiot are you? What mother would ever give her inexperienced son the keys. You are not a mother. You are a murderer. Now, you'd be shocked that a friend would say something like that, right? But you'd probably be less shocked if I said it wasn't a friend who told her that. It's what she told herself. That is the second arrow. The second arrow is always delivered by our mental chatter. You know, having a son in the hospital operated on who is bad enough is telling herself, I'm a murderer, making things any better. You're right. What you're saying is when we get wounded, when something bad happens to us, the second wound often comes from the thoughts in our own head. Absolutely. And the second wound exacerbates the first. In fact, I'm going to make a blanket statement to you and everybody else. No matter what situation you're facing that is of concern to you, your mental chatter about that situation makes it at least an order of magnitude worse. I'd love for everyone listening right now to just pause for a moment, okay? And think about a time where you have applied a second arrow to yourself. Just reflect on that so the lesson sinks in. One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become 
the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mindvalley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. So, Rao, I want to ask a question, and this comes from Rachel Strauss, who is a member of Mindvalley All Access. She is live with us right now. Rachel says, I absolutely embrace and understand this idea for things and situations, but how would you apply it to your health? For me, my life would absolutely be better and healthier if I could improve a health issue. So it's hard to allow that to unfold without pushing, trying, efforting. In any situation, we all have visions of the world and we try our level best to make it different. And I not only encourage you, but I point out to you that as long as you have a vision of the world, it is incumbent upon you to try to make it unfold. But try to make it unfold because that is your path in life. Don't try to make it unfold with the proviso that if it happens and if things happen that I want to have happen, then I'm going to be happy, fulfilled, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, you got lousy health, but you're fulfilled anyway. Look at Ramana Maharshi. You know, in his latter days, he could barely walk. He had cancer, which was eating him aloud. Look at the pilgrim. He roamed right Siberia, and all he had was a torn woolen coat and a copy of the Philokalia, and he had dislocated shoulder with nobody to look after it. So, yes, if there is health, then that is an issue that you have to deal with. But don't make the mistake of thinking that because you are ill, you cannot be a completely fulfilled human being because being completely fulfilled is part of that. The body is there and you have to look after it and you know things will happen to it. But you do not have to let it impact who you are because you are not the body. It's a garment, you know, like a suit of clothes. You're occupying it for a short time and when you're done, you take off the suit of clothes and give it away, you know, give it to the Salvation Army, whatever is gone. Your body is really no, no different from that. And the mistake we make is in identifying with the body. Supposing somebody comes up and he's a brute, he's a monster, he's got a machete and he chops your right arm off. And after it's healed and the stump with the right arm is lying around there, is that still your right arm? Extend that to your whole body. That's the original mistake. We identify with a particular body-mind-intellect complex, and that identification is very strong. What all the great masters tell us is that is the original mistake. Mm -hmm. And once you recognize you're not that, you find that there are no problems. I want to push further so we truly understand this. Sure. The next question I'd like to ask you, Rao, is this. You say life is like a dream, and we get that. At the same time, we are facing real problems with climate change, climate instability, with politics, with a pandemic, with the economy, and so much more. So isn't saying life is like a dream dismissive of the reality that's out there? It's not dismissive of the reality, quote unquote, because all of these things are like the particular drama which is playing on the screen. You know, when you're in the towering inferno, there is this building which is on fire and the elevators are broken down and people are burning. And you might be the firefighter and you're trying your level best to put out the damn flame and rescue the people who are in there. 
But while you're doing all of that, you are playing your role in this particular drama. But you are really the screen. And when you go to Waterworld, you know, there is hardly any land at all. And the oceans have risen and you're on this little miserable boat which could get swamped. And you're trying your level best to survive on that. But at the same time, that is also the role that you're playing. So you're always playing the role. You're not gainsaying that. Whichever movie you're caught up in, you're playing the appropriate role in that. And you're playing it with full gusto. And you are enjoying your role. And you can really enjoy the role when you recognize that you are the actor playing the role. If you identify with the actor, you're gold. If you identify with the character, you're screwed. If you identify with the actor, you're oh, I get that. Yes. If you identify with the character, you're screwed. Identify with the actor, not the character. Exactly. So there's another parable that you speak about, Rao, and I'd love to go into the second parable. It's the parable of the archaeologists. Why is this relevant to us? This is a very, very powerful story again. And again, there are many versions of this, but I like the one that I'm about to share with you. So there was this very well-known archaeologist, and he was on the trail of a missing kingdom. But the particular reason he wanted to find this missing kingdom is that the king had discovered the secret of life, you know, the great big secret. And he was very anxious to find that. And he did a lot of research and eventually said it's probably there. And they started excavating. And they did eventually find that that was the kingdom he was looking for. And when they broke into the palace, the king was there sitting on his throne. And he had this secret in a scroll in his hands. He was a skeleton now, but it was. So the archaeologist grabs it and unfolds it and finally succeeds in translating it. What the scroll said is, as you are today, I once was. As I am today, you soon will be. Pay attention to what you are striving for. As you are today, I once was. As I am today, you soon will be. Pay attention to what you are striving for. But can that also mean that in our short life, strive for as much as possible, desire as much as possible? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. By all means, desire. But here is the thing. One of the things that all of us really want is happiness. And not just happiness, but happiness that does not end. The big plague in our life is not that we're happy, but whatever we're happy about ends. Look at it. Life is changing. You get married to someone and it's beautiful and, you know, you love each other and you fulfill each other. And six months, six years later, you can't stand each other. You're getting on each other's nerves and fighting all the time. You really want ice cream and you go off and have an ice cream and it's good. Then you have a second ice cream and it's not so good, but still good. You have a third ice cream and you can't stand it anymore. Whatever it is we go after, we find that we love it, we get a thrill, and then it's gone. We don't want that. We want happiness which lasts forever. And the only thing 
that gives you a happiness which lasts forever is for you to recognize that none of these material objects will ever give you any happiness. The only thing which gives you happiness which lasts forever, ever, there is a term, a Sanskrit term for it, we call it ananda, is knowing that you're not the body-mind-intellect complex, but you are the screen, you are the underlying entity, the reality, and that is ever-present, ever-blissful never ending. All of these desires we have for this is what I want are really a pale reflection of that because what I'm really saying deep down is I want to be happy and not just I want to be happy, but I want to be happy permanently. And the only way you're going to be happy permanently is to get beyond your being caught up in this particular body, in this particular mind, in this particular intellect and know that you are beyond it. In Sanskrit, we have a term for it that's called Brahman. So you are Brahman, have always been Brahman, and always will be Brahman. It is not that you're eternal, you're beyond time, you're beyond space. How do you spell this word Brahman? B for boy, R-A-H-M-A-N. B-R-A-H-M-A-N, Brahman. 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 Could you define Brahman again? Brahman is the underlying reality. It is the awareness that is the only thing that exists. The entire universe, the cosmos, comes from that and is that. Mm -hmm. It simply manifests that. And you yourself are that. It's like you're a wave on an ocean. The wave comes from the ocean and it goes back into the ocean and it is the ocean. So I want to ask you this. Just before you, last Friday, we had another speaker who was speaking of Ayurveda and ancient Indian philosophy. Her name is Sahara Rose, and she spoke about Dharma. So the Sahara Rose episode is also on our podcast, also available to Mind Valley All Access members. So you mentioned about Brahma, but when Sahara was explaining the concept of Dharma, she explained it as we all have a purpose, mm -hmm. something that our soul is here to fulfill. But this is where I'm a little bit confused. How do we move between surrender and dharma? Don't those seem like ideas that clash with each other? Yes, they do, because we're talking on two different levels. I see. But if we're talking on the relative level, then there is vision, and vision has a, a purpose, and he has a dharma that he has to fulfill, and it is right and proper to help the needy, and it is wrong and improper to steal from the needy. But that is the level at which you are where you are playing this particular role. When you are beyond the role, then there is no dharma and there is no adharma. Look at it this way, Vishen. Everything that exists has a creator, right? So you have a pot, and the creator was a potter, and what he used to create the pot was clay. There is a gold ornament and there's the goldsmith and the goldsmith made the gold ornament and what he made the gold ornament out of was gold. So in exactly the same way, there is the universe and there is the creator of the universe. Let's call this creator God and God created the universe. But what did God create the universe out of? Well, let's say that God created the universe out of this quantum soup that was lying around. Who created the quantum soup? So you can see you go back in an infinite regress. The only way out of this regress is God created this universe out of himself, herself, itself. 
So everything is God's stuff. You, me, the chair on which you're sitting, the doctor on the road, the great men of history, Lincoln, Gandhi, the tyrants of history, Hitler, Saddam Hussein, all God's stuff. There's nothing in the world that's not God's stuff. So if there's nothing in the world that's not God's stuff, why don't we see it? Why do we see this multiplicity instead of recognizing that it's God's stuff? When you get to there, that's when you'll realize that it is all a drama. Intellectually understanding it doesn't take very long. We've done it in a few minutes. But between the intellectual understanding and the rooting yourself in it as this is it, it's a lifetime's journey, maybe many lifetimes journey. But that is the only way you're going to have what we're all seeking for, which is everlasting happiness. Happiness mm-hmm. does not come from getting. You have these temporary flashes of pleasure, which are the best that we know, so we go after, but that is not where permanent undying happiness remains. I like that. We are all God's stuff. We are all God's stuff, and that's the only thing that exists. I'm looking at questions which are coming in right now from our live audience. Again, for those of you who might be watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the Mind Valley podcast, if we decide to put this out, you can become part of Mind Valley's All Access Group by going to mindvalley.com forward slash now, mindvalley.com forward slash now. And I, I really believe this is the best education you can buy. All our programs, including Sri Kumar Rao's program, plus programs from like some 30 other teachers are all unlocked for you. Whether you want to study biohacking or you want to triple your reading speed or you want to learn energy medicine or just become a better entrepreneur. I believe Mind Valley All Access is the single greatest product on planet Earth that you can invest your money in because it utterly transforms you. But try it out, mindvalley.com forward slash now. We have added a private social network to Mind Valley All Access to compete with Facebook. So our users get a safe social network where everyone comes together and they arrange meetups in their independent cities, they connect with each other. And we are now bringing in artificial intelligence to customize Mind Valley All Access. So you get the right lesson at the right time and you get connected to the right people you need to meet in life at the right time. The platform within 10 months will likely be the most advanced education platform on the planet. So go check it out, mindvalley.com forward slash now. And also when you join Mindvalley All Access, you can enroll. All Mindvalley programs are unlocked for you, but you can go deep into Sri Kumar Rao's program, The Quest for personal mastery. And the quest for personal mastery is a one month program. Every day you get a 20 minute idea, insight from Rao, but these ideas stack onto another. And at the end of the program, you cannot help but be transformed. I don't mean that you learn stuff. I mean, you are a different person. These ideas seep into your head. Now let's get on to some questions. Nisha Rahim asks us this. I'm so drawn both to this concept of surrender and the concept of visualization. Aren't these two practices in conflict with one another? If not, how do they fit together? The way it fits together is visualization is a wonderful tool and it's a very powerful tool. Most of us misuse it and we misuse it in two ways. First of all, there is wishful thinking put into visualization. For example, if you are struggling because you can't meet your credit card debt, 
but you visualize, you say, you know, I am abundant, I'm rolling in money, I have a bank balance with a certain number of zeros. But that, deep down you're thinking, no, no, that's, that's not true, that's not who I really am. But you're trying to put on a brave phrase and make a visualization. So there is an inherent contradiction in there. And the second part of it is that we are stuck in duality as we're going through. The way to do that is, and this is how it fits in perfectly with the surrender experiment, which is, I visualize this is how my life should unfold. But having done it, I put it out there, and I do not feed emotional energy into it from the perspective of when my dreams come through, then I'm going to be happy and fulfilled. Now you put it out there as this is how I would like my life to unfold. But you know, I'm going to accept whatever the universe has to say, and I will accept that it's going. And mm -hmm. whatever comes your way, that is what you accept, and that's what you are comfortable with. And you don't just accept it, you embrace it. This requires some effort on your part of actually thinking, it's not that I'm going to accept it. The universe is unfolding and it's unfolding perfectly. And my job is to deal with the terrain in which I am. So I want to expand that because Heine Waihe asks this question. Is my job then to allow the universe to create whatever it wants through me and to not interfere in the process? because I feel like I want to participate in the creative process and to consciously create is part of the fun. Consciously creating the part of it is also what you're put on earth to do because everyone who's on this program, they have a certain amount of life experience. They're probably very successful as an external observer would judge them. And when you're very successful, it's because you, know, you really have reshaped the world to be who you are. The point I'm trying to make is you try your level best to do it. You participate in the creation. But as you participate in the creation, recognize that your participating in the creation is also part of your surrender. Because when you try actively to participate, some of the times what you want happens. Some of the time what you want does not happen. But whatever happens, even when what you want does not happen, you still celebrate it and are fulfilled by your part in the process. That's where we all fail down. We say, if what I want happens, then life's a blast. If what I want does not happen, life sucks. No, life is a blast all the time. You're trying your level best and not succeeding is perfect because here's the mistake we all get sucked up in. We think that the benefit of setting a goal and trying our level best to achieve the goal is achieving the goal. Wrong. Mm. The benefit of setting a goal and trying our level best to achieve the goal is the learning and growth that happen in us and to us as we try our level best to achieve the goal. And if I we actually know. achieve the goal, that's a bonus. I like that. It's like Bruce Lee said, sometimes goals are not meant to be achieved. The goal is simply a direction in which you grow. Completely correct. So this, so this answers a very interesting question from Anna Killian, who's a new member to Mind Valley All Access. Anna says, I'm listening to this call and I'm a Mind Valley All Access member because I want to find myself. Maybe I'm learning, so I unlearn. But if I should let things happen, should we not learn? Should we not think about these things? Why are we here today? My boyfriend suggested to me this. He said, you are who you are. Why do you need to learn anything? And there's a lot of wisdom in what the boyfriend said. 
See, here is where we get stuck into because all of this learning is basically happening through our mind. And our mind is simultaneously our best friend and our worst enemy. Our mind is simultaneously our best friend and our worst enemy. It's our best friend in the sense that it's an extremely powerful tool. And all of the concepts that I've shared with you, if you resonate with it and say, yes, yes, this is true, it's your mind that's saying that. But there has to come to a point where if you are the screen, you have to transcend the mind. I'm going to give you two examples. Ramana Maharshi said, you know, you're outside and you have a campfire and the campfire isn't burning very well. So you pick up a stick from the campfire and stir the fire with it and it starts burning brightly. And before it burns out, you drop into it the stick that you picked up and that burns up too. That stick that you picked up is the mind. It will take you a great deal of the way, but eventually that too has to be consumed by the fire. Or here's another example. You have a Ferrari. And your friend lives at the other end of town. So you get into your Ferrari and your Ferrari will get you to your friend's house. It'll even get you into your friend's driveway. But then if you want to meet your friend, you've got to get out of the Ferrari and go into the house. The mind is like that. It will take you a great deal of the distance. But eventually, if you want to be the screen, you have to transcend the mind and let it drop because the mind is what generates thoughts and thoughts are both your friend and ultimately your enemy because you have to transcend them. Thank you. That's deep. That's deep. Very deep because even the thought of transcending your thought is a thought. Anna, I'll say that the best thing I can recommend is take the quest for personal mastery. This isn't something that immediately becomes apparent to you when you just jump in. But over the 30 days in this program, as the layers and layers and layers of wisdom if they penetrate your soul, you will certainly gain that clarity. So we're coming to the end of this conversation and Sri Kumar Rao, in our final five minutes, I would love for us to deliver value to you as well because you've given so much to us. I'd love for you to tell the audience about your coaching program because I know right now you earn a living by coaching people. And, and by the way, guys, I want you to know we don't take any affiliate fees. I'm not asking Rao to share this because we get a cut. I'm asking Rao to share this because I've enrolled some of my own employees into it. Many of my friends have taken this program and it's been transformative. And this is why I'm such a Rao fan. Rao? My coaching is different from Rao the Mill coaching vision. And let me tell you how it is. Normally, when you talk about coaching, you identify some area where you think you're deficient and I need to bolster that. So say, for example... Your team members are fighting with each other, so you want to learn how to make teams function smoothly, or you want to become a better leader, or you think you're poor communication skills, so you need someone to help you fix that. So you've come to someone who you think has the skills and can transmit those skills to you, and you agree on terms of engagement. You know, here's how long it'll be, here's how much it'll cost, this is how we're going to go about it, and at the end of the time, this is the results that you have. I don't work like that. In fact, I don't even like the term coaching. I prefer the term friend, philosopher, and guide. So the closest parallel to that would be Aristotle and Alexander. Alexander was a very willful child, and his father, Philip of Macedonia, didn't know how to deal with him. So he asked Aristotle, would you please talk to my son? He's unmanageable. 
So Aristotle started talking to Alexander, and you can bet your boots that Aristotle did tell Alexander, here's how you lay siege to a mountain fortress. They talked about Homer, they talked about poetry, they talked about meaning of life, they talked about science. But cumulatively, this shaped Alexander's worldview and made him who he was. And then he went on to do what he did. So coaching with me is a very holistic process where I'm not here to help you achieve your goals, quote unquote. I'm here to have you question, why do I have these goals? Are these the right goals for me to have? What am I really trying to achieve? What is my worldview? And as you start becoming clearer on that, whole areas of your life get cleaned up. People who want to learn from you, I know you used to do these classes, but obviously those are not happening right now. What's your email address or your website where people can go and learn more? It's Srikumar, S-R-I-K-U-M-A-R dot Rao. Srikumar dot Rao at the Rao Institute dot com. I'm going to give out your email over here so people can write to you. So if you're interested in Srikumar Rao, go to Srikumar dot Rao at the Rao Institute dot com. Email Srikumar and he will directly get back to you or his assistant will get back to you with information on Rao's programs theraoinstitute.com, theraoinstitute.com. And please, if you enjoyed this conversation, tell your friends about Srikumar Rao. Suggest that they go to theraoinstitute.com or they Google him and they watch his TED Talk. By the way, Srikumar, where can people find your famous TED Talk? They can find it on my website if they go to theraoinstitute.com. Okay. Or they can simply go to TED.com and put my name in the search engine and it'll pop up. Thank you, Srikumar. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Sri Kumar Rao, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.